Welcome to the Fully Delighted Podcast, a hopeful and helpful resource from South Mountain Community Church, a multi-site church in Utah. Each week we will be hearing from our staff as we explore what makes SMCC unique, as well as what it means to be fully devoted and fully delighted in Jesus Christ. We hope this podcast can be a helpful resource for you to take your next step with Jesus. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Fully Delighted Podcast. My name is Adam and I get to serve as the Campus Support Team Director here at South Mountain Community Church. And with me as usual, no no special guest today, we've got Pastor Eric on one side and Pastor Paul on the other. Guys, good to have you here today. Yeah, it's Easter week, you guys. Mm-hmm. Pretty exciting, with snow on the ground. Yeah. What no an kidding. Easter in Utah. That's the way... Utah rolls. <laughs> That's what Utah rolls. We got Good Friday services at 6.30 up here at our northern locations, and um, you can find other times for St. George on the web. I don't want to mm-hmm. get those wrong right here and now, but uh, check those out. Really excited for this weekend. In fact, this is why all the people that want an Easter sunrise service outside, I keep saying, you don't want that. <laughs> yeah. Maybe in California. It's probably going to snow. Yeah, this year would be like probably 35, 40 degrees this year, sunrise. Yeah, yeah. yeah so cool. we're, we're really excited for Easter and uh, hope you've planned a service to attend, hope you've planned maybe a guest to invite, and um, it's going to be an exciting time. Yep, and as you said, if people are you know need to know what times for any of the locations, they can go to smccutah.org slash Easter and that all be available to them. They'll be able to see it. Yeah. Now, before we dive into the text, I like to do a little current events in the podcast. And uh, Paul, it was a great weekend. It was the Masters, mm-hmm. and we were just watching a clip of the Masters champion Scotty Scheffler saying, "I just want to glorify God," which is cool. And and I hear people say that often, um, but I don't take that for granted. And then he said this, which I thought was extra uh, meaningful to me. He said, "My identity is found in Christ, not in a golf score." And I thought, what a it's perfect cool. way of, of talking about um, a gospel identity, like we talk about it at SMCC. So I really appreciated that. It was I watched too much golf this weekend. I think I <laughs> owe my wife an apology. <laughs> but it was, a, it was a fun weekend watching the Masters. I'm sure you were on the edge of your seat. I was uh, in the back of my couch sleeping, but <laughs> it was very exciting. <laughs> All right. I guess we should get into it. So we're, With that, let's go to yeah, First Corinthians. Yeah, with that. We're in First Corinthians 11, for those of you that... Have been following us, you kind of know where we're at if you're new into this episode, 1 Corinthians 11. We've gone through the previous uh, 10 uh, chapters, um, and we read uh, primarily from the New International Version, the NIV, if you want to follow along. Um, so that's what, that's what we're doing each week, giving a commentary. Yeah, now just to remind people, um, my favorite way to think about the book of 1 Corinthians is in terms of disorganized religion. I just think that's... We did a mm. series called that, but that's going to be my framework for reading the book going forward um, in my life. And I think in this section of chapter 11, uh, he's picking up some things that are very disorganized. They were disorganized Mm. in their gender roles, and they were disorganized in their services, and that was hurting and harming people. Disorganization dishonors. So just want to remind people of that framework as we dive into some first century issues of disorganization. Yeah, absolutely. So we're going to go ahead and read uh, verses 1 through 6. Can we just use... Can we just read one verse, because there's so much in verse 1. Oh. <laughs> and just okay. stop there. Sure, yeah. So the first verse that Paul has in chapter 11 here is, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. And I wanted to stop there because some people think, well, that's kind of arrogant for him to say, follow my example, hmm. right? Um, but this, I think, is the goal of discipleship, so that Every single believer in Christ 
could get to the point where they confidently could say to somebody who they are discipling, somebody who they're trying to uh, bring along in the faith, encourage next steps in that person, just Mm. follow my example as I follow Christ. Mm. And that is a picture of the Christian life that I kind of think is is permanently in in my head that I'm I'm reaching up to Christ mm-hmm. and I'm following his example and I'm reaching down to others helping them take their next step mm-hmm. and hopefully living a life of integrity so that I can say this statement. Yeah, thanks for starting off with a lot of conviction this morning, Paul. That's, that's pretty <laughs> convicting. I mean, if someone was spending their money like me, what I think that's a way to honor God with your money. If someone was using their free time like me, would I think, oh, wow, that's a great way to honor God. Like I just said, watching a lot of masters. Good it was questions. restful, okay? It was a little Sabbath for me. Um, <laughs> but, but it's just a look in the mirror moment. Right. If someone is following my example, uh, what will they be like? And, and the thing is, you don't have to live a perfect life to make that statement. Right. Because if when you blow it, you quick as quickly as possible... Uh, come to Christ in repentance mm-hmm. and said, say to him, look, I valued something else uh, higher than you. For that, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. And um, I know that was not wise and it was not glorifying to you, God. And so for that, uh, I want to repent and move forward. Repentance is this idea that we need to think better. Mm-hmm. We, our thinking needs to change. It's metanoia. It's a change of thinking. Mm-hmm. And so to recognize that we were thinking slash valuing inappropriately, now I want to uh, basically reset all that mm-hmm. in a way that honors Christ. Now we just move forward. Hey, if everybody did that in a, in a, in a good way, you don't have to worry about living a perfect life. You just need to... Uh, be open and honest about when you aren't doing so well. Yeah, I appreciate that. I also wanted to add that uh, people are already following your example, everybody. <laughs> Someone's already following your example. I mean, you know the the phrase, like, father, like son, right? And, uh, you know, there are times my kids have reactions, I'm thinking, they got that from me. They're already mm. following my example. And um, what example do we want that to be of Christ, as I follow Christ, right? Um he is the one I want to model my life after. So anyways, I just think that's a, a good dose of conviction here early in the morning, and then let's roll on to this next section. Yeah, absolutely. So verses 2 through 6 say this, I praise you for remembering me in everything and for holding to the traditions just as I pass them on to you. But I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of, every, of, the, of the woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. But every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. It is the same as having her head shaved. For if a woman does not cover her head, she might as well have her hair cut cut off. But But if it is a disgrace for a woman to have her hair cut off or her head shaved, then she should cover her head. All right, let's pause. (laughs) Whoa, this seems pretty strange to us. Um... One of the things that makes this section sound challenging to our ears is that um, there's a metaphor of head working with a symbol of head. You got mm. you got head being used in two different ways, symbolically and metaphorically representing uh, something else. And so you got to kind of get clear on the physical head, your dome, where your hair is, and your leader or your authority. And I think that... Um, 
we got to be able to read it with both of those things in mind so that we can make sense of the uh, of the wordplay. That's mm-hmm. important. So we'll kind of you know set the table with that. Um, and then the other thing I think that's important is in our culture, we have these triggers in us, and certain buttons can get pushed. I was thinking about it recently like an elevator. Uh, all of us have buttons in our lives, and when someone pushes it, our emotions go through the roof, <laughs> okay? Mm-hmm. They go up or they go down based on the button like an elevator. And this issue is one of those buttons for a lot of people. And what I always like to point out, especially in this passage, is that the man and woman are doing the same thing. And so this isn't a value-laden, what is someone worth conversation. It's, it's different than that, and we, and we see that. Additionally, whenever we see roles talked about in the Bible, gender roles, one of the reasons it can push our buttons is we have been led to believe this. This is our default setting. My worth is in what I do. And if there's something I'm supposed to do or not do because of something I am, then somehow my worth is different because I'm being limited in what I can do. We've been trained to think that in our culture, and that's an erroneous viewpoint. So I'd just like to set the table with a few of those things before we dive into this. Yeah, that, that, that trigger word is subjection, submission, mm-hmm. uh, under someone's authority. Right. All those are just triggers, but the Apostle Paul obviously didn't think this was a problem. Number one is because he understands the Trinity, and Jesus Christ voluntarily humbled himself, submitted to the Father's will, and went to the cross. That means there's no hierarchy in the Trinity. Mm -hmm. And what's interesting, a passage we're going to cover both in Good Friday's service and in Easter is the passage in Philippians chapter 2 where uh, God gave him, Jesus Christ, the name that is above every name, Mm -hmm. that at that name... Jesus Christ, uh, you know, that Jesus Christ is Lord, that every, at that name, that every knee shall bow and every tongue confess. So uh, it's interesting because to the, uh, God exalted him, Christ to the highest place. Well, is that higher than him? No, because he's in the highest place too, mm-hmm. but he exalts him. And, and, and that is not a problem to exalt another in the Trinity. This is what's happening all the time. Mm-hmm. And so, it's just a role that Jesus um, took upon himself. He took that role of suffering servant voluntarily that did not decrease his value in the Godhead one single bit. Yeah. And that's the theological framework that we can understand this idea of submission. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we read head and we think uh, boss of, you know? Exactly. Someone who's the boss of. But in an honor-shame culture... It really was more about one worthy of honor, one who would take the spear first, one who would take the bullet first, one who would go first in sacrificial love. In an honor-shame culture, if you were in that place, you went first. And so we gotta, we kind of got to slow ourselves down. You know, we read this and we react with emotion, and that's understandable, um, but we've got to slow ourselves down, not let our emotions hijack our amygdala. We've got to keep thinking well and just kind of pause. And I think it's important to realize that in an honor-shame culture... Um, this was a very different um, approach than in our culture, uh, which isn't an honor-shame culture. Paul? Yeah, in verse 6, it says, For if a woman does not cover her head, she might as well have her hair cut off. And then it says something very interesting. But if it is a disgrace for a woman to have her hair cut off or her head shaved, then she should cover her head. Now that um, proposition... 
in innocence, that if it is a shameful thing, mm-hmm. then this. So that if-then statement actually does not apply in our culture. And so in my mind, this negates all this instruction about head covering for mm-hmm. a woman, head, her head being shaved, all that kind of stuff doesn't really apply because we don't make that connection in our culture. Yeah, gender roles are symbolized differently in our right, culture. Right. And so the head covering uh, was a symbol of something. Just like gender roles and issues in our culture, um, they are symbolized in certain things. What was on your head then was a symbol of, of something bigger. And so um, there's a couple of things that were happening in this culture that I think are interesting. Number one, uh, temple prostitutes often shaved their heads. And so it was a symbol of a way of life, a symbol of your approach to the gods, a symbol of your approach to morality, perhaps, connected to hair. And also, uh, very, very long hair for men communicated something. That was not normal. Um, And so when you showed up in church and people had their hair in those ways, it was very distracting. What are you trying to say about this community? Is this one of those temple prostitute places with all the women with the shaved shaved heads? Or is this um, focused on Jesus? If so, let's not dress in a way that causes a a distraction. So, Paul, I appreciate you bringing out the if-then statement because that uh, reminds us that the timeless truth is deeper than the actual behavior. It's connected to the symbol behind behind gender. Now, uh, by the way, uh, we've had a real uh, storm in our world recently about gender. Uh, the Supreme Court justice was asked to. Uh, is she was she getting elected for that? What was it's that? The com- hearing. Okay. To, to... Yes. And, and they said, can you define woman? Woman, And she said, I can't, I'm, I'm not a biologist. And um, people had a heyday uh, with that, you know? Um, it's like, well, the science is pretty clear about what defines a woman. Point being, gender issues are still here today, 2,000 years later. And so Paul is, wants them to approach this in a way um, where the culturally charged symbols would not become a distraction from worshiping, from worshiping Jesus. You know... One little final period to this discussion about gender is Christ did more for women than any other religious figure in the history of humankind. Mm -hmm. He honored women in a way that they never have been honored. We're talking about an oppressed class here. That's how oftentimes we're, you know, in terms of intersectionality, Mm -hmm. intersectionality, um, women are oppressed class. Well, if you were to go back to 2,000 years ago, there would be no comparison to what women enjoy today in Christianized culture. Mm-hmm. Mm. Outside of Christian culture, women are still an oppressed class. I, I will hand them that. Yes, mm-hmm. absolutely. But what the Apostle Paul is suggesting here is not oppressive. It's not meant to be demeaning. It's meant to be honoring. And he's asking that all things be done in order Mm -hmm. with the symbolism that made sense to them in those days. Yeah. So what symbolism makes sense to us today? I mean, this this is worth thinking about. You know, I think Mm -hmm. um, we want to today have men and women engage with our worship services in ways that don't distract from Jesus. That's what we want. And so a woman who shows up flaunting her body would be a distraction. That would be a problem. That would be a symbol of something that's distracting people from keeping their eyes on Jesus, right? Mm-hmm. That would be one way to talk about it. Um, and so if both genders glorify God 
and they do, then we want people to embrace those gender roles in ways that, that honor him because actually it honors each individual person. So gender is assigned at creation through biology, if, and that's a gift. I mean, if it's determined, if you're going to determine your gender, that is a demanding way to live. And how do you know you got that right? As my friend Rick likes to say, how do you know that your mind is right and your body is wrong? And I just think that's mm. an incredible question uh, with this with this issue. Mm. So anyways, I think uh, really important to say, um, what are symbols of gender today that would honor God? And what are symbols today of gender that would distract from worshiping God? And we should keep those in mind as we approach, approach church. And... Um, uh, I was going to say one other thing, but I forgot. Oh, so here's what's interesting. There are churches today that still women, all the women wear head coverings. Right. In fact, Elisa Childers, who we just had here, a couple weeks after she was here, went to a church, and I looked at the picture, and all the women are wearing head coverings. Uh-huh. That is actually, I think, doing the opposite of what the head coverings passage is teaching, because it's actually drawing your attention to all the head coverings and away from Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's actually using a symbol that distracts from what Paul was trying to create. It, 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 it draws attention, it creates confusion, I think, mm. in some ways. And so I, I think those people are trying to live out the passage of 1 Corinthians 11 with the actual behavior. Unfortunately, I don't think they're reading deep enough into why Paul was talking about this symbol. They haven't translated the symbol into our culture, sure. and that's what we need to do to really apply this passage. I'll, I'll just say it again. It is not a disgrace for a woman to have her hair cut off or her head shaved in our culture. Right. And so you don't need to wear a head covering. And it's not a disgrace for a man to have long hair in our culture That's right. either. Right. And so therefore, uh, we apply this with the timeless principle, which is really not about what's on your hair. It's about reflecting the gender appropriately in a way that doesn't distract from the worship of mm. Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so um, that's why at, you don't see a guy at SMCC preaching with lipstick on, okay? Um, <laughs> not planning to wear a kilt anytime soon, okay? Right, right, right. You just have to translate it into our into our culture. That gets, that gets pretty difficult uh, at times. I don't really know if there's other r- real examples. Can you guys on the spot, sorry to put you on the spot, think of real symbols in our culture today that would be distracting inside of a church setting when it comes to mm. gender? Does anything jump out at you? I talked about um, someone you know, being dressed in a way that was pretty provocative. I think that would be mm-hmm. a, a close mm-hmm. example. Someone on stage leading in a way that had them looking like the, uh, the other gender would, would be distracting. You know? mm-hmm. uh, a cross-dressing preacher would probably be, be, distracting. be distracting. That seems yeah. so extreme that it almost seems like it's not fair to the passage. But I'm trying to think of other ones, and mm-hmm. um, I can't think of much, you know, because because of the way our culture has um, uh, approached head coverings. You know, it's, it's kind of right. hard to apply it. Yeah. All right, let's keep reading on. I'll go through verse 7, uh, 7 through 12. A man ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God. But woman is the glory of man, for man did not come from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. It is for this reason that a woman ought to have authority over her own head because of the angels. Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. For as woman came from man, so also man is born from woman. But everything comes from God. Oh my goodness! <laughs> it's like a Dr. Seuss book a yeah. little bit there. I think that uh, this can really trip people up if they just 
read into this passage a kind of a preconceived idea. Like uh, it says, For a man did not come from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman from man. Now, that doesn't mean that she was created in order to serve him, you know, bring him a beer, uh, <laughs> you know, make sure he's uncomfortable all the time, all that kind of stuff. But let's go back to Genesis chapter 2, and it's clear that it is not good for man to be alone, so God created woman, all right, from the man. And so that means that she completed him in a way that he, before then he was incomplete. And so she was needed for this equation to work. Mm -hmm. And so that's that doesn't diminish a woman's worth. It actually enhances a woman's worth that she was absolutely necessary for now man and woman to um, basically represent God to the world. Yeah. I think you make a great point. You got to go back to Genesis to make sense of this. Yep. And um in Genesis, you see order and organization in creation. And Paul is saying, let's just remind ourselves that the order in creation can reflect order today. If God created it like this, then in his goodness, he sees a wisdom behind this type of uh, relationship, this type of structure. Um, another point in the New Testament talks about women being weaker. What does that mean? Well, they're just physically usually not as strong. I know some women that are stronger than me, but generally <laughs> speaking, they um, have less muscle. Their bodies were designed differently to bear children. Right? There's some differences. Not that that's all they're designed for. I'm just saying their bodies do that. Uh, Adam, yours doesn't. And so yeah. <laughs> there's differences in creation, and Paul's saying allow those differences that reflect order in Genesis to bring order to your church. And uh, I I'm guessing, too, that from this context, um, people were getting out of hand in the way they approached the opposite gender, and he's trying mm. to bring some order mm -hmm. there because that order reflects the wisdom of creation from Genesis and actually um, is fitting to our design. And of course, we know that when you use something and approach something the way that it was designed, that leads to flourishing. And he's going back to that design from Genesis. And so um, without doing a deep dive into this, I think that's a helpful way to, to get through this passage. Yeah, love it. Uh, verses 13 through 16 say, Judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not the very nature of things teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a disgrace to him, but that if a woman has long hair, it is her glory, for long hair is given to her as a covering? If anyone wants to be contentious about this, we have no other practice, nor do the churches of God. Anything you want to add there, Paul? You know, this is always a verse in my back pocket when my kids wanted to grow their hair too long. <laughs> but that's about it. Yeah. And again, it's very it's difficult. Let's just be honest, it's difficult because now we're trying to uh, interpret scripture in its cultural context. And so we're we're trying to be, honor the context to which the first reader, how would this reader understand these words? Mm -hmm. And then make appropriate application of what we're reading mm -hmm. and I know that the temptation always is to uh, basically read Scripture in order to give ourselves a pass, and, and we don't want to do that, but at the same time, um, the rules of interpretation are simply, what did this mean to the original reader in its context? Yep. So there's one meaning, 
but there's many applications to yeah. every single passage. Yeah, and so here's just one. I, I, you know, I didn't grow up in the first century, but here's one. If you're going to go to battle with long hair, you're going to be the first to get picked off, all right? It's going to get caught. They're gonna, someone's going to grab it. You're, you're not going to do well in battle with your long, flowing locks. So you had short hair so that you could provide for your family, you could protect your country. Um, and then so therefore, by implication, your wife was back at home, and uh, she was able to grow her hair long, and it was it was beautiful, right? And so I think there's um, there's something there about fulfilling the role to honor your family and honor your country with your mm-hmm. hair. And if your hair your hair might be a symbol of ah, I dishonor that, I'm not gonna go to battle, I'm not gonna fight for my family, I- I'm gonna stay at home and grow it out long. You know that would be <laughs> an indicator of an attitude. Uh, of course, if women had long flowing hair and they showed up at church with this beautiful hair that had been well done, it was a symbol perhaps of rich riches, perhaps it'd be distracting to others who didn't have the ability to do that. It would, it would, the ugly line between rich and poor that was running through the church in Corinth could be um, only, um, what's, what am I trying to say, highlighted because of someone's flowing hair, right, in, in the church. And so um, it really w- was connected to far more than just someone's hairstyle. It was connected to an attitude, right. worth, and, va- and value. And so he's he's talking about all that. I really think that it could be as simple as men don't try to look like a woman, and women don't try to look like men. And men don't don't sacrifice your role in this world, and right. women don't try to usurp theirs, and men don't give yours away, right? It's just kind of some simple stuff like mm-hmm. that, you know? And And to this day, I mean... We could pause here, and if I was preaching to a group of teenagers, I would talk about teenagers, probably get off your video games and go get a job. All right, I think that would be, that would be, Adam, I'm saying that to you. I'm just kidding. You have a job, and you play your video games. games. But like video games are an example of um, sacrificing a purpose at times. Like when when a man spends too long, I'm going to start to sound like Mark Driscoll, you know, he starts to rail on young men. But I think the Apostle Paul might have been railing on young men who didn't want to do the honorable, noble thing of providing for a family, putting in a a good day's uh, worth of work, being a leader, parenting your kids, and engaging because you wanted to think about your hair and, you know, eat grapes and sip wine, you know? I think Paul's kind of going after that. In our culture today, what is it? It's the kid who doesn't want to grow up. It's the kid who doesn't want to get a job, you know? Start at the bottom of the totem pole. I was just talking to my wife about uh, picking berries as a kid when I was 14, you know? And it was not tough work. As a but job. That was my job. Yeah. Yeah. It was like, and then I worked in a fish cannery, you know, it's like, put your dues in, you know, work hard, day's mm-hmm. wage. I think Paul's sort of speaking to some of that probably. Also, men, be the kind of leader that your wife would want to follow. Mm-hmm. I mean, th- that kind of underlines all this. It's easier, I think, to be a woman in submission to a man that actually leads well. Mm. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> and, and so... It's it would be much better to um, live that life instead of uh, live a life of independence from mm-hmm. a man. There are times uh, where Carissa will look at me and say, I, "I don't know how you do what you do. I could never do that." And I look at her and I say, "I don't know how you do what you do. I am far more exhausted spending an hour with my kids <laughs> than I am ten hour workday in the office." Mm-hmm. And for her, it would be the opposite. Mm-hmm. And I think mm-hmm. if we just kind of pause and reflect on those types of realities in our world, what Paul is saying. Uh, makes sense. The genders are built differently by God. It was they were built differently in creation, and they're built differently for how they lead in creation and how they they steward creation. And um, yep. I, I just think that's okay. We can we can let God's word sink in. And of course, if we read this, we're like, I I can't trust the Bible. It says things like this. We should expect the Bible to challenge us. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> this challenges me to step into um, my God given role as a male. 
And I think that's uh, sounds pretty old school when I say it, but I think it's biblical. Man, talking about getting rid of video games and yeah, everything, I, Eric. Man, I mean, I, I have my own you know format of video games. You know what I mean? I don't know what it'd be. You know, don't play too much golf. You know, maybe don't watch the Masters for four hours a day. Yeah, maybe sure. I need to yeah. Repent for that. Anyways. All right, let's go on to verses 17 through 22. Paul says, In the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and to some extent I believe it. No doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. So then, when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper you eat, For when you are eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. Don't you have home homes to eat and uh, sorry? Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this manner. All right, let's pause right there. I, you know, clearly it turned into a bit of a BYOB party. Some people showed up mm-hmm. to worship Jesus and others showed up to party. And uh, Paul has to correct that. He says your church services are actually harming people. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't. I want to be able to say that to people today. <laughs> I've never told somebody that. <laughs> but there are still church services today that absolutely harm people. And then Paul has that section about, yeah, I'm glad there's differences among you. What he's saying is if some people are really following Jesus, then by you know, definition, they're going to be people who are different than that because they're showing up for different reasons, and it's going to cause some division. Yeah. And so he's like, I'm not shocked by the division. You have some people who truly follow Jesus and others who don't. Yeah. One interesting thing, I've read um, I've read a book, this was a long time ago in college, uh, and talking about this section, I thought it was really interesting. You know, wh- one thing that Paul's addressing here too is, again, you're talking about organi- organization, order. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's this idea of, along with there's some people that are getting drunk at this, which is not the purpose. Um, also, there are some people who are coming to to church and to the Lord's Supper to eat. That's the purpose of them even being there. And he's saying, you know, go to your, you have a home to eat, like yeah. eat at home. Come here to to remember and to focus mm-hmm. on Jesus, not. To, to eat mm-hmm. and gorge yourself. The purposes were getting mixed up. That's right. That's right. I mean, we have a little wafer at SMCC. Mm-hmm. No one thinks that's a meal. Nobody's yeah. Nobody's <laughs> got a meal. Here. Yeah. At SMCC. So we checked the box there. Nobody's going to get drunk, and nobody's going to get come to full. ours to get full. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. So we, we've we've actually helped fulfill this passage. There really, the problem is it's so deep in that. Christ is not the center of the celebration. Mm-hmm. It, it it's almost like that's an afterthought mm-hmm. to these guys. Mm-hmm. It's like a chance to party and yeah. it's a chance to eat and it's a chance. But it actually it it uh, contradicted this concept that the ground is level at the foot of the cross. Mm-hmm. You know, we all come to the cross the same mm-hmm. as sinners in need of a savior. But they were actually. Uh, enhancing the divisions, cultural divisions, rich and poor division, uh, by the way they celebrated the Lord's Supper. It couldn't be worse. Yeah. Some guy shows up with filet mignon, fancy wine. Someone else shows up without food because they can't afford it. Right. And it's like, come on, what are you guys doing? Yeah. Some people are going hungry, we're going to see, as the passage continues. And so, anyways, I think, uh, yeah, it was, I mean, actually pretty sad, too, if you Mm -hmm. think about it. You know, Jesus... um, Although he was rich, became poor, you know, is, mm-hmm. is one way to talk about that. And um, unfortunately, the rich didn't understand that. 
Yeah, and there's some smart people who also, you know, Paul talks in some other epistles about eating the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner, and I think there is some reference to this. You're mm-hmm. just you're just doing it wrong, guys, right? Yeah, somebody's bringing filet mignon, and the other has no food to eat at the Lord's Supper. Like, and as you said, Paul, everybody's even at the cross. There was just some fundamental pieces just being done wrong in an unworthy manner. Mm-hmm. Let's keep going. All right, so verse 23 through 26 says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. I just love the Apostle Paul said, okay, let me reestablish this is what the Lord's Supper is. Mm -hmm. This is what you should be all about when you do this. Mm -hmm. And he just makes a nice little summary statement. Mm -hmm. And we use this all the time. This Mm -hmm. is a great explanation of how we should remember the Lord and the and uh, what he did on the cross for us. Yeah, absolutely. So verses 27 through 32 say this, So then whoever eats the, the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. This is why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. Nevertheless, when we are judged in this way by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be finally condemned with the world. All right, let's talk through that, Paul. (laughs) There's there's two statements there that kind of go together but kind of don't. Uh, One problem is uh, they're eating without discerning the body of Christ, and another problem, they're eating without discerning... Uh, being discerning regarding themselves, mm-hmm. and so, Eric, how do those differ? Yeah, uh, Dis- discerning the body of Christ and discerning yourself. Yeah, I think uh, you have a lack of understanding about why Jesus had to die, and you have a lack of understanding about how you're responding to His death. And uh, I think that's at the heart of the problem. You're not being discerning. Dis- discerning is, I see clearly. Um, I'm applying truth to both situations. I'm, I'm, I'm embracing the truth of Jesus and why I had to die, and I'm embracing the truth of me and my approach to his death. And I think um, when you get both of those things wrong, uh, and this is what seems Paul, Paul seems to be saying this, if you get both of those things wrong, God needs to wake you up and mm-hmm. get, get your attention. And uh, there can be some discipline there. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like Paul is going so far as to say... Um, you know, people got sick, people even died because they were so flippant in their approach to the gospel. Mm. And uh, I think we need to pause and unpack that in light of how um, during this movement God's um, uh, approval or rejection of people was much severe, much more severe than it is today because the gospel message is being established, and so these warnings are stronger. Uh, I don't think people are dropping dead today because they took communion wrong. I, I could be wrong. Maybe I didn't know that they did that. I, I don't know how I would know. Um, but uh, uh, point being, in the first century, you had Ananias and Sapphira drop dead, and it seems like judgment was more quick and more severe so mm-hmm. as to correct things instantaneously and immediately, and I think this was what's happening with communion too. 
Yeah, I don't think the problem was that uh, they didn't clean up their act before they came to communion. They mm -hmm. didn't live perfectly righteous lives before they came to the table. No, that's not what's being talked about. That's not the unworthy manner. Mm -hmm. the there's no one worthy mm -hmm. of what Christ did on the cross. And so, unfortunately, in many religions that have this type of tradition... Uh, the, the Lord's Supper is almost used as a way to um, motivate good behavior. Right. And they actually would insist that you can't take the, the Lord's Supper, the mm -hmm. elements, mm -hmm. the, the cup and the bread, unless you get your act together and mm -hmm. keep it together. Mm -hmm. And so it's the, actually, it's the opposite um, of what Christ intended. This is for sinners, mm -hmm. and taking it in an unworthy manner has more to do with a flippant attitude that you you just mentioned, mm -hmm. uh, and not recognizing the intent of God in giving us this symbol. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking, Paul, of what you said in your book, Living FDFD, about being poor in spirit. Yeah. Oh, yes. When you read this section, in light of the arrogance inside of the church in um, the city of Corinth, you see that they were prideful in spirit. Prideful in spirit is the is the unworthy manner. Ironically enough, you know, it's that it's that uh, this is not the body of Christ. Now I'm gonna. This is my party tonight. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? I, we're not remembering him. We're remembering me. You know, right, I'm right. worthy of this feast. That arrogance, that prideful spirit, is what needs to be disciplined. Not God. I don't deserve this. I I, I don't deserve to um, to receive what you've done for me. Um, but you give your life to me as a gift. And that is a humble, poor-in-spirit approach. Mm -hmm. And I think that's... You know, if you're, if you're coming to the communion table on a Sunday at SMCC feeling broken and, and so grateful for what Jesus has done, that's a good place to be. Yep. Yeah. If you're coming to it and you're thinking, oh, man, I, gotta, you know, I, got, I got this. <laughs> I don't know. There's, there's a lot of ways to go back. I don't like the way they serve communion around here. I want <laughs> someone to bring it to me. You know, it's yeah. like, okay, I get it. You might have your preference there. I hope that that doesn't take away from your worship of Jesus as you celebrate communion, you yeah. know, how and, it's you know, administered. Sometimes people tell me, I couldn't take communion today because I just felt so guilty about what I did last week and Ooh. blah, blah, blah. And I'm thinking, no, that's, that's... important that <laughs> you feel guilt. That's a good sign. Number yeah. one, the Holy Spirit's active in your life, mm -hmm. that, you're, that guilt is part of that conviction of the Holy Spirit. And now... Take that guilt to the cross. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's what we want you to do. Yeah. We don't yes. want you to stay away. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Can I say, can I say something? As, so as a youth pastor, youth pastors used to joke about you can do communion with anything. Just get some Mountain Dew and Doritos. Call it communion. It's just a symbol. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah. I don't go there because there's a seriousness to this. Sure. And the symbols should be fitting of the reality. And the reality is that it was blood. So. A red symbol makes some sense. Mm -hmm. uh, a wafer, okay, yeah, it's just not orange Doritos. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like it's, it seems to fit the first century Passover meal with with bread and wine, and it seems to fit the seriousness of it. I don't want to use symbols that uh, are humorous or too casual, so as to put yeah. me into a place where I'm not appropriately remembering Jesus. Yeah, yeah, it's this delicate balance of saying, so you know, some people will be, like, no, it's got to be bread and it's got to be wine. Okay, so there's there's one extreme, and the mm -hmm. other extreme would be like, oh, just anything, you know, yeah. like, so so let's find a balance up. Let's let's take this seriously. This is remembering mm -hmm. a, 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 the event that changed 
history of the world that changed mm-hmm. our lives. You know, so let's take it seriously, but also, you know, right. So we're, we're trying to find that line. Yeah. Where, you know, there yeah. Somewhere. So the section wraps up and just makes some really helpful <laughs> points as uh, this section comes to a close. So Adam, why don't you hit it? Yep. So then, my brothers and sisters, when you gather to eat, you should all eat together. Anyone who is hungry should eat something at home, so that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. Hey, as someone who gets pretty hangry, I understand that, okay? <laughs> yeah. Bring a snack. You know, why don't you, eat your why snack don't you get a little granola bar before you come to church in the morning? <laughs> we don't want any hangry people, you know, getting so grumpy that they, they take the food inappropriately. Yeah. And Paul just ends this section, as it's broken up, not by Paul, but by these... Uh, editors, and then I will come and give further instructions. So that's how this chapter ends. Yep, that's right. They needed to organize their gathering. So just two takeaways today. How does this ancient you know, text get to us? The first is uh, we have a class starting the week after Easter, Wednesday evenings here at the Draper campus called Christian Sexuality, where we will dive into gender. And uh, I really hope people will check that out. Mm. Not, not much has changed with confused people around gender roles and identity. And um, so we're going to talk about that. And then the, the second thing is that... Um, it seems to me Paul is talking about creating an excellent environment for everybody, guests, outsiders, and insiders. You know, create an excellent environment. And so if you don't serve on a team at SMCC, this is an opportunity to create a great environment this Easter. So mm-hmm. uh, get on our webpage, reach out to us if you want to get on a team and really create a great environment. As, as casual as that sounds, it is very much a biblical approach to the local church. Can I just revisit and very briefly, the idea in this this chapter, I think, is pretty important. Of course, there was gender differences, that sort of thing. But rich and poor is another topic that kind of winds its way through the entire letter. And the Apostle Paul is not shy in reminding us that you're not better if you're rich. Mm-hmm. You're not mm-hmm. less than if you're poor. Mm-hmm. Those are just states of being and... Uh, to some degree, it could be our assignment from God, whichever one. And to, to he who has much, much is expected. Right. And, you know, that's said to the rich. You have a lot to steward. You have a lot of responsibility to do well with what God entrusted uh, you with. And to the poor, there's nothing wrong with uh, bettering your situation. But let's face it, 50%, approximately 50% of the population, when this letter was written, were slaves. Mm. And they're going to be poor. Mm. And so there's a lot of instructions to masters about treating their people well mm-hmm. and, and taking care of those people in their household. But there's also this sense that don't let that fact that you're poor define you. That's not your that's not who you are. That's right. just your situation economically. Right. I would love for someone to do a study, I'm sure it's been done, on how the lines of rich and poor, and especially the rich and the elite, played into them, played into men living a feminine lifestyle. I would be curious as to that, because I think I've seen that in movies and things like that, that in Greco-Roman culture, the elite in the society of the day were able to live a life that looked like the opposite gender. I would love to see that study. You know, long hair, um, the way they would eat, the way they would take care of their bodies, the way they would go about life, almost as a way of saying, look, I'm so wealthy, I don't need to fulfill the role of all these poor men around here, you know? I don't want to be strong because I don't work a day. I've never worked a day in my life. My skin's going to be like this because Mm -hmm. I have not spent time in the sun, you know? Mm -hmm. I think that study would be really insightful at this point because, to your point, Paul, it seems like 
the the line between rich and poor was was also um, it was disrupting things in the church, and I think it was leading to gender con- confusion too. I, I think too, yeah. I think that there's a lot to be said about that. Uh, I can't ever say this word very well, but it, it's pedestry. I think, okay. and it's the idea of young boys being used as sex mm. sexual objects by richer men mm-hmm. and pedestry or something like that. I can't mm. remember exactly how to say it. So that's a problem mm. in this church, but uh, or in in that culture, we live in a culture, and we don't feel this way necessarily, but it's true. We have a pretty good middle class, mm-hmm. and it is so rare in human history to have a large middle class. In in the in the church in Corinth, it was rich, 10%, poor, 90%. Mm-hmm. And that's the culture of that day. In the Roman Empire, every, mm-hmm. every culture pretty much from the beginning of time mm-hmm. had that type of distribution of wealth, 90-10. And so it's hard for us to think through what that would look like in the church then, and I think that's why the Apostle Paul has to say what he says. Excellent. Well, thank you guys for your commentary and insight and knowledge into this. I'm sure our listeners appreciate it. And if you're listening to this and have appreciated episodes before this episode, please go ahead and leave us a review on the platform that you're listening on. That helps us to gain more exposures and, and get this out to more people. And if you want to find um, some of our other podcasts that we have, we have the SMCC Messages podcast as well. You can search for that or just visit smccutah.org slash podcast. We will see you again next week. Take care. Thanks again for joining us for the Fully Delighted Podcast. If you enjoyed this hopeful and helpful resource, we'd love to have you leave us a review or share an episode with a friend. For more information about SMCC, please visit us at our website at smccutah.org. Thank you for trusting us with your time, and we look forward to having you back again soon.